Well, we're going to uh, begin a new series tonight, which is uh, simply another segment of what we've begun some time ago, and we call it Foundations of the Faith. What are our bedrock core beliefs? What are the faith convictions that bind us together and which we share in common? Well, we began some time ago with the first bedrock of the faith, uh, the Bible. And I mentioned to you that that has to be the starting point for all that we do, because in it is where we find out about the second bedrock, which we studied in prior weeks, God. And tonight, we'll start the third segment, the third bedrock of our faith. Let's talk about Jesus Christ. So God first person of the Trinity, uh, the Lord Jesus, second person of the Trinity. And then after a period of weeks, Lord willing, we'll discuss the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And Lord willing, we'll fill up all of these rocks with words that remind us of what we are to believe and stick to as Christians. So tonight, the question is this, who is this Jesus Christ? Who do you say he is? Uh, let me just to prime the pump suggest to you who various other groups say Jesus Christ is. For instance, he was God's firstborn, a very good man, and he accomplished great things, but he surely is not God. Well, that's who Mormons say Jesus Christ is. He is a God, but not fully God. In fact, he is a created being. Now, this is uh, what Jehovah's Witnesses say about who uh, Jesus Christ is. Now, by the way, I'm not saying this in a critical way. I'm simply telling you this is what they say he is. So save your emails. I don't mean to be critical. This is just objective fact. Uh, he is a man uh, just like we are. Uh, no better, no worse. This is who the Unification Church of Reverend Moon uh, say he is. Uh, God always was, but the existence of Jesus began at conception. Therefore, he is not God. This is who the way international say he is. He's a prophet. Uh, he's a messenger of God, but he surely is not God. This is who Muslims say he is. He is a great teacher of morality. This is who the Unitarian Church say he is. He is a mystic medium. He's kind of a guide to self-actualization. This is who New Age thinkers say he is. He's a psychological projection of our needs. We all, we all need someone, something to lean on. Therefore, we have very creatively come up with the mythical character of Jesus in order to lean on him. And this is who uh, the famous psychoanalyst Carl Jung and followers of his today say uh, Jesus is. So having given you that sampling of opinions, I now ask you, who do you say? He is. Now, before you answer, don't you think in the spirit of fairness, we ought to let him first speak for himself. So let's see if we can figure out what claims he makes about himself. 
Now, there was a fellow named John, a messenger of God, an authorized spokesman and representative of God. And he wrote God's words for us, contained in various places in the Bible. In fact, he wrote the last book of the Bible, and you that know that to be called... Yeah, he wrote Revelation. So this is the John. There's several in the Bible, but it's this John we're speaking about now, the one who authored the book of Revelation. And in Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he is writing to us a direct quotation of Almighty God. And here's what it says, Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, folks, that is not Jesus speaking. That is God the Father. That is the Almighty God laying claim to being the Alpha and the Omega. So in Revelation 1, verse 8, that's how he refers to himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And these are the first and the last letters, many of you know, of the Greek alphabet. In other words, in the Greek alphabet, there is nothing before Alpha and there is nothing after Omega. And that's the idea. It's a reference to Almighty God who is preceded by nothing and who is outlasted by nothing. He is the beginning of all things and he is the end of all things. He existed in eternity past, exists in eternity future and so on. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He alone is this way. Nobody, nothing else is the Alpha and the Omega. God always has been, will be and continues to to be. Nothing will outlast him. In other words, this is the essence of what it means to be God. You are eternal. You are the Alpha and the Omega. Now, that point being made, I'd like you to notice what this same spokesman of God, John, records at the end of his revelation. So here, let me direct your attention to Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 and 13. 22, 12 and 13. Now, while you're going there, this will be helpful to me. Would it be helpful to you, tell me if it would or not, we'll do a little poll, uh, if we put these verses of Scripture on the PowerPoint? Okay, next week we'll start. Good. I was just checking. Some people like it, some people don't. I see a majority. Next week we'll start putting the verses. It'll save you uh, hunting down for it in your Bible. So, and then I can make up more stuff. You won't be able to check me out. Here we go. Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 and 13. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha. Have you heard that before? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So I ask you the question, who here is making that claim? Jesus, yes, sir, you are right. And if you back up to verse 16, you will find that this man is absolutely correct. This claim here is not being made by God the Father. This claim to be Alpha and Omega is now being made by Jesus himself. You can see he's the one speaking. Just back up to verse 16. You'll examine the context and you'll see that this is attributable to him. So here is the point. Jesus is making the same claim for himself that God Almighty made for himself. 
Jesus is laying claim to divinity. He's saying, as the Father is Alpha and Omega, has no beginning nor any end, as the Father is eternal, so too I possess eternality, for I too am God. So here's my point. You, it's a free country, you can deny that Jesus is God. Have at it, if you choose. But you cannot deny that he claims to be God. So this is very important because there are critics out there who will tell you, be careful, don't listen to them. They will tell you, naive worshiper of this Jesus, he never even claimed to be divine. They don't know what they're talking about. Yes, he did. Now let me prove it to you. Would you take another look at a passage of scripture written by John? John chapter 8. Would you turn to John chapter 8? Eight, and let me just show you in one other place that Jesus unequivocally lays claim to divinity. Once again, you can deny it if you want, but you cannot deny that he claims to be God. John chapter 8, uh, find your way to verse 53, and we'll read from there. And let me just tell you, the religious leaders of the day, the Jewish religious leaders, in particular the Pharisees, were getting real upset, irritated by this Jesus and by his claims. Uh, They were suspecting, you see, that he was putting himself on a level of authority. They felt he had no authority, uh, no right to claim for himself. And so that's the context. So in verse 53, the religious leaders of the day say this. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you make yourself out to be? And now this Jesus responds in verse 54 and on. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I shall be a liar like you. So much for political correctness right there. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews, therefore, said to him, You are not yet 50 years old. By the way, about how old do you think he was at this point? In his 30s. But they thought maybe a little less than 50. Uh, Just as a sidelight has nothing to do with the lesson, but it just occurred to me, he lived a hard life, folks. It was rough what he went through. He looked older than he in fact was. He suffered for us way in advance even of the cross. So they said to him, you're not yet 50. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, whenever you see truly, truly, (laughs) that's the Lord saying, this is the real deal. This is like true to the max. Truly, truly. Truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I was. Does your Bible say that? No. If he said before Abraham was born, I was, that would be quite a statement. That means he predated Abraham. But he says something even more outlandish than that. He says before Abraham was, I am. Now, I'll tell you what's so significant about that. Way back in Exodus chapter 3, you had a reluctant servant of God named Moses. He's just like us. And he had every excuse in the world for not doing what God wanted him to do. 
And so one day he said in Exodus 13, Oh, God, I sort of, sort of, I want to do this, and I'll go to the Israelites, and I'll tell them you sent me, but I sort of have to know what your name is. So God said, You just tell them I am whom I am. So now Jesus chooses these two words, I am. He extracts it from Exodus chapter 3, which God Almighty said is my name, and Jesus uses it to identify himself. In other words, he says, I am state of being, no beginning, no end. You cannot mark my existence by birth, or by, and you cannot terminate my existence by death. I am. It comes from the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the state of being, to be. You can't define me. I have no beginning. I have no end. I am eternal. He is, in effect, saying all that you know about God as the great I am is true of me. Now, folks, you may think I'm stretching it, but I'm not stretching it. And to prove it to you, they knew what he was saying. We can tell by their reaction to his claims. The Jewish religious leaders knew exactly that he was saying of himself, I am the great I am. I am almighty God. Therefore, if you check out verse 59 of John 8, you'll see that they picked up stones to throw at him. Why did they do that? Because blasphemy brought with it the the uh, penalty of being stoned right on the spot. They knew he was claiming to be God, a rather blasphemous charge, and they were going to execute him right there. By the way, have you ever thought about this? If he was not God and didn't evade their grasp, as it says at the end there, verse 59, he vanished from the temple. How did he get away from them? Well, he's God. Now, if he didn't do that, they would have stoned him right there, and he never would have taken the cross. Do you realize that? He only saved his life in this case so that he could offer his life in order to save our lives later. You see it? So they knew he was laying claim to divinity. When Jesus said, I am, I have to tell you that statement is the most profound claim ever made in the Bible by Jesus with regard to himself. When he said, I am, he said, I am God. And so they said, blasphemy, and we're going to stone you as... What they, in other words, he said he was God, but they simply said, no, you're not. That's what we have here. Which leads me again to the question, who do you say he is? He said, I'm God. They said, no, you're not. Who do you say Jesus is? Folks, I have to tell you, it's essential that you and I be right about this. It's very important. Thomas helps us. Thomas, a witness, said, Jesus is God. John chapter 20, verse 28, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. He didn't say, my co-pilot and the big guy upstairs. <laughs> now that's blasphemy. He said, my Lord and my God. Paul helps us out. The apostle Paul he was there. He said of Jesus, he is God. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. God himself said the Son is to be worshipped as God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship. Him. 
Now, folks, we do not merely rest our conclusion about who Jesus is on the basis of his self-claims. There were works that he did. In addition to the claims he made of himself, he did the works of God. And I wish we had years <laughs> to demonstrate that point. Can I just give you one passage of Scripture which so clearly demonstrates he did the works of God? It's Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. Colossians 1, 15 to 17. Here's what it says. And he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation for by him, he's the agent, by him, all things were created. He's not a created being. In fact, he's the creator. By him, all things were created. Where? Well, both in the heavens and on earth. What kinds of things? Visible things and invisible things. In fact, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created, get this, by him and for him. And he is before all things. Pre-existence. That's a characteristic of God. Pre-existence. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Folks, Jesus did the works of God. He not only claimed to be God, he did the works of God. He was the creator. In prior weeks, we spoke about the attributes of God. And I mentioned the omni-words. He's omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent. And then I said he's unchangeable or immutable. And I mentioned to you that these are characteristics or attributes which we associate with God and God alone. They don't pertain to us. Only he is all of these things. Well, Jesus not only claimed to be God and Jesus not only did the works of God, he also possesses the attributes of God. Here is his omnipresence, Matthew 18, 20. You're familiar with this. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. Let me tell you, how can anyone but an omnipresent God keep his word right there? This is a gathering of two or three or more. He's here. But there are gatherings like this all over the place. <laughs> so this is, this is an evidence of his omnipresence. He can't be in all of these places unless he was omnipresent. He's omnipotent. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. How? Here's the point. By the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. If he has the power to subject all things to himself, he's omni-all-powerful. How about his omniscience? John chapter 16, verse 30. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. <clears throat> How about his immutability, his unchanging nature? Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today. Yes, and forevermore. So can you see, uh, this Jesus not only claimed to be God, not only did the works of God, not only possesses the attributes of God, folks, he is God. So I ask you once again, who do you say Jesus is? You've got to get this right, you see. You cannot afford to be wrong about who Jesus is. You, you see, if he is who he clearly claims to be, and you deny it, you're going to be condemned forever as an unbeliever. It's just that serious. You know, when the first Christians, our forebears in the faith, 
when the first Christians began to go about and tell the greatest story ever told. And they began to declare truths about this Jesus. They told them that this Jesus of Nazareth is in fact God. And they suffered terribly for it. They came to be under attack and experienced fierce persecution for that claim. This Jesus is God. How could it be that one born of a woman, Miriam, Mary, how could it be that one who comes from such an insignificant place, grew up in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, how could it be that this one who died on a cross, the most excruciating, painful, and humiliating form of death known to man at the time, how could it be that this man be God? You see, it was foolishness. Worse, it was scandalous to make such a claim. How, in fact, could this Jesus be God? Let me turn the question about. How, in fact, could he be anything but God? Stay with me for a little bit. How could he really be anything but God? That's really the question. See, here's the deal. What else could he be but God? Well, some will say he could be a good man. Everyone today is saying that. Oh, yeah, Jesus, we respect him. He's good. He's a good man. You see, that's the one thing he could not be. He cannot be a good man. How could one claiming to be God be a good man if he, in fact, was not God? He cannot be a good man, a good moral teacher, a good sage, a good philosopher, a good prophet. He cannot be any of these things if, in fact, he claimed to be God but is not. See, if he claimed to be God and is not, (laughs) a good man is the one thing Jesus could not possibly be. If he claimed to be God and is not, that would make him not a good man, a bad man. In fact, a liar. If he claimed to be God, but this is a false claim, he could not be a good teacher. In fact, he is a liar. He's bad. He's a deceiver. If he knows he is not God, yet claims to be God, he is a liar. Ah, but there's an alternative. What if he claims to be God, but doesn't know he's not God? He's deluded. He's insane. He's an egomaniac. He's a lunatic. Could be. So here are your choices, folks. Don't mean to be so crass about this, but these are your only choices. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord of all. There are no other choices. So I ask you, who do you say He is. If you deny he is Lord, you have a right to and then live with the consequences. If you deny he is Lord, do you do so? Do you make that denial because you have more evidence that he's one of the others? Do you deny he is Lord because you have more evidence that he's a liar? Prove it. Do you deny he is Lord because you have more evidence that he's a lunatic? Prove it. I would like to suggest to you the evidence for his lordship far exceeds any evidence. Flimsy. You might provide for the other two alternatives. So I ask you, who do you say he is? You see, if you deny he is lord, you have very limited options. Who do you say he is? Folks, he is either to be worshipped as God, ignored as an egomaniac, or stoned as a blasphemer. Which will it be for you? Don't play with this. You have no other options. Which will it be for you? 
Now the reliable biblical record. Remember we took lots and lots of Wednesday nights to point out the reliability of the scriptures. Because if this bedrock has cracks in it, everything else we believe is on faulty ground. I showed you the reliability of the scriptures. The reliable, the reliable biblical record of the life and message and works of this Jesus Christ has persuaded me and any real thinking person that Jesus is in fact who he claimed to be. I am persuaded, and I hope you are as well, that when one encounters Jesus Christ, he is encountering none other than God himself. Who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? You have to get this right. We must get this right. See, here's the deal. We have a huge problem. We sin. It's a huge problem because God is holy. It really wouldn't be a problem if he was like us. But his nature is holy. Ours is to sin. That creates a tremendous problem for us. Because having sin... And being in the presence of holy God to whom we have to make due means we need somebody to pardon our sin. We need a kind of a perfect sacrifice to stand in our place so that a holy God, who has every right to judge sin, that which is contrary to his nature, could have his wrath turned away from us. It's due us. But we have a problem. If we can't find someone to stand in the gap for us, then we're going to have to deal with the wrath of God ourselves. I have to tell you, our problem is so big, we really need a God-sized solution. We need a God-sized substitute. We really need a God-sized Savior. In order to forgive, have our sins forgiven, pardoned, cast behind the very back of God, not taken into account that we have offended His law and His holy nature, I have to tell you, we need a God to forgive us. Jesus is God. That's why he can forgive us. Because Jesus is God, he can pardon sins. You see how important it is that you be right about this. Because he is God, he can pardon sins. Because he is God, he can raise the dead. Because he is God, he can and will reward believers with eternal bliss. And because he is God, he can and yes, he will. Judge the unbelieving world. And my dear friends, if you are not right about Jesus, you will be wrong about absolutely everything else. I beseech you, examine the evidence. Be right about Jesus. And it's never too late. Today I had the marvelous and joyous experience of hearing of how an elderly man considered the evidence over time and made the right decision about who Jesus is. And I would love to tell you about it, but I can't as good as his son can. So I, I, I'd like to invite Harvey Munsart to join me now and share with you and me what happened today. Harvey Munsart's a member of our church. If you'd like to clap to make him comfortable, that'd be fun. Now, Harvey is usually serving on Wednesday nights in Awana, and I've asked him if he could uh, give us some of his time because I just wanted him to spread the wealth of what happened today. Now, Harvey, before we begin, you came to know who Jesus was how long ago? 
February 2002. In 2002, and your background is what? Your ethnic background? I'm a, I'm a Jew. I'm, a, I'm Jewish by ethnic background. 230 generations of Jewish unbelievers preceded me. So at the age of 52, you, a Jew, recognized Jesus to be exactly who he claimed to be. And that's a wonderful thing, but it caused a few challenges because I take it your parents are Jewish. Yes, they are. And, and um, how, how many of them... That is so intuitive. <laughs> so so you, you have a, a mother and a father. And um, I, I just want to... And when you came to know Jesus as your Messiah, what happened in your um, relationship with your parents? Could you take it from here and just fill us in? Well, in, in February of 2002, when I came to the Lord, um, my mother declared me as dead. And um, she tore an article of clothing and because she had lost me forever as a son and because she didn't count me as a Jew because that's what you're raised to, to believe as a Jewish unbeliever. And my father pretty much does whatever my mother tells him to do. Those of you who have been married for as, ma as many years as my dad has, uh, I'm talking to the men now, uh, I mean, you know whatever your wife says goes and um, that my father and my mother, my mother are no different. And so my father pretty much went along with my mother. But it, w it was an interesting, it, it was an interesting series of events with my dad. My mother dismissed it summarily and immediately, and in fact refuses to this day to have the name of Jesus mentioned in her house. But my father, given private time with me, I remember three months after I came to know the Lord. He and I were on a train going down, going up to Pikes Peak in Colorado when I was visiting my, uh, my brother, and my father started talking about God to me. This is the first time in our entire relationship that he had ever mentioned God. And I said, Dad, what's the reason for this conversation? He said, uh, I don't know, just there are some things that have been occurring to me lately. And so during the past several years, he and I were just having conversations. I knew that it was, these conversations were impossible to have around my mother, so I waited for her to not be present, for he and I to have a conversation and for me to witness to him. Not just to tell him about Jesus, but to speak to his heart and to let the Holy Spirit do the work. All I did was show him the path. And about a year and a half ago, my dad, he and, I were, he and I were talking on the phone, and my dad sounded, he called me at the office, and he was very, very depressed. And I said, Dad, what's the matter? He said, well, I'm having trouble walking. Uh, I, I can't get around the way I used to. I've got all these aches and pains. And Harvey, for the first time in my life, I'm, I've realized that I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning, that I'm nearing the end. And I said, Dad, what if I could prove to you, without a doubt, that you were really closer to the beginning than you are to the end? And he said to me, without thinking, he said, Harvey, if that could only be true. And that's really where that, that particular conversation ended. And as he and I have had time together, I've had time to discuss the Lord with him. Not to ram it down his throat, but to speak to his heart the way Lord Jesus spoke to my heart. And 
And today, I was on the phone with my dad, talking to him about various unrelated things. I asked him where mom was, and he said, she's down in the laundry room. And I said, okay. And um, I said, dad, what's going through your mind right now? And he said, well, I'm not feeling well. And, uh, and again, I'm feeling closer to the end. I said, dad, over the last couple of years, you've mentioned to me that you've seen a difference in me. Isn't that right? And he said, yes. And I said, what difference is that? He said, I've just seen a peace over you. I've known you all your life, and I've never known you to have this kind of a peace. And, and you're so patient with me and with your mother. And I've asked you, where do you get this, where do you get this patience from? And you've told me that you get this patience from the Lord. And I said, Dad, what do, what do you think this difference in me has been over the last several years? And he said, Linda. <laughs> Those of you who know my wife can easily believe that to be true. And she has made an enormous difference in my life. But I said, Dad, Linda and I have known each other since early of 2003. How long have you known this difference in me? He said, since before then. I said, then it can't be Linda, can it be, Dad? It has to be something else, and in fact, it's someone else. I said, that difference, Dad, that you see in me is Jesus. Because when I accepted Jesus as Messiah, as the one true Son of God, I became more Jewish than I have ever been in my life. And he is responsible for this peace because he's the only one in my life that has ever loved me unconditionally. And dad, he loves you just as much. And then I stopped speaking, which is hard for me. And my father then said, Hersh, which he calls me, it's a nickname for my Hebrew name, which is Herschel. He said, Hersh, I want what you have. He said, I can't do it for myself anymore. I just can't. I don't have the strength. I can't do it for myself anymore. I need help. I said, Dad, you know that I've spoken to you about Jesus and accepting him as Messiah for years now. I want you to trust in him and take him into your heart. And he will, you will feel, when you do that, you'll feel him wrap his arms around you in a hug that you've never realized before in your life. And you will not be the same. He said, Harvey, I trust you. I said, Dad, this is not about trusting me. This is about trusting him. And this is not an insurance policy, Dad. This is not something that you can try. I've told you that you're closer to the beginning than you are to the end. And I've said to you that if you take Lord Jesus into your heart as Messiah... You won't give up your Jewishness because you've seen me. You've been in conversations with Linda, me, and the boys, and you know that we observed Passover, and you know that we observed Yom Kippur. And last year, you asked me, who did you pray for this Yom Kippur? And I said, Dad, I prayed for you and all of the other Jewish unbelievers in the world.
because I no longer have to pray for forgiveness of my sins because Jesus died for my sins. And I no longer have to do that once a year. And my dad said, Harv, I want your peace. And I said, Dad, the only way for you to have my peace is to take Jesus into your heart and accept him as Messiah, your, your personal Savior. That's the only way that that's going to happen. And he said, Harvey, I do. And I, I started to cry on the phone. It's, this, is, this can only be done through the grace and the sovereignty of the Lord. I mean, here is a man whose heart was incredibly hard. His father died when he was eight years old. And has been so busy making a living for himself throughout his life that he hasn't had time, made the time, to make a life for himself. And now, he has the Lord to look to every day. Every day, every minute of every day. And he's taken Lord Jesus into his heart as, as his personal Savior. So I ask you to please continue to pray for my dad, Samuel Munsart, because he's alone. 1,500 miles away in New York, he is alone. And he's with a woman who has a very hard heart against the Lord. So please pray for my dad, Samuel Munsart, as he, as, as he continues in his relationship, to grow in his relationship with, with the Lord Jesus. But please pray for my mother, Eva Munsart. Because in the Lord's time, and it has to be in the Lord's time, my father will have the courage to tell my mother that he's accepted Jesus right now. I mean, this is a person, and uh, after he accepted the Lord, he said, do I have to tell your mother? I said, no, Dad, this is a personal issue between you and Jesus, in his time, Jesus will tell mom. You don't have to tell her. But please, I would appreciate your praying for them both. Because this is a dream come true for me. And it just sh my dad will be 86 years old on June 6th. And it's, this is a miracle. It's, it's absolutely a miracle. It is never too late. Many of you have been praying for my mother and dad, and these and prayers are answered. And I love you all for doing this and making this dream come true. We'll pray before our pastor comes. Could I just mention to you, um, oh, we don't have it up anymore. Our mission statement to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. It isn't just flower, uh, um, uh, colorful words. It's a reality. And Harvey has been living proof over some time of this marvelous loving God and aroused his father's interest and even jealousy. And then the Lord Jesus, because he's God, did the marvelous work of conversion. He did it through you, which is a marvelous blessing, a son to lead a father to the Heavenly Father, and we all could be in that situation. Folks, would you commit to praying this week? Oh, God, would you give me eyes to see and opportunity to tell the greatest story ever told? Pray to Jesus. He is God. <laughs> so he hears you. 
and he'll go with you and he can empower it and he can bear a conversion fruit even through you. So would you make it your business to pray? Oh God, give me eyes to see an opportunity to share the greatest story ever told this week. And then as Harvey requested, could I ask you to bow with me and let's pray for his parents. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being exactly who you are and for not leaving us with any question marks. Uh, Your claims are fit for examination and they stand the test. It's self-claims for sure and works and characteristics uh, very commensurate with your divinity, your God. Now, Lord, we're struck with the mystery of the fact you're also man, so you're going to have to help us understand all this. To accept it is another thing. We accept that you are God enfleshed, and you've came for the sole purpose of saving those who are lost. So thanks for doing this on behalf of Mr. Munsart, even at the ripe age of almost 86 years old. As has been said, never too late. And now, Father, we pray you would protect him and drive his roots in the faith deep and that you would bring into his life experience, though he be uh, many miles removed from his son, would you bring to him Christians who could love him and cause him to grow and help him to mature in the faith. And then, Lord, I pray you would give him a Holy Spirit boldness so he would tell, yes, even his Jewish wife. That Jesus is the Messiah. And before that happens, Lord Jesus, we pray in advance that you would soften up her heart as you have so many of us here. So that the seed of the gospel, the greatest story ever told, would take root even in her life. And then we look forward to the time, Lord Jesus, when in one of our future gatherings we could rejoice over her salvation as well. Father, we thank you for bringing us to this place in you and in this local fellowship. We feel like we're about your business here, not perfectly, and we need to grow, but thank you so much. Our foundational beliefs are to receive and propagate the gospel message so that others, Jew, Gentile, male, female, black, white, old, young, rich, poor, can hear, can believe, and can be saved. Thank you for being our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.